Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. There you go. Y'all sound so good. Uh, it is amazing. Um, I love, I usually sit up here up front just to be kind of captivated by the sound of the band and this morning specifically. Y'all were shouting, y'all. I absolutely loved that. Uh, I'm going to pray really quickly uh, before I start into this. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be together today as sisters and brothers. We thank you for your overwhelming kindness and care for our lives. We confess that we often forget you, and we rejoice in the truth that you never forget us. Father, finally, be with the one who preaches, for his sins are many. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, my name is Caleb Chancy. I'm one of the elders here at Redeemer, and I'm so glad you're here today as we continue our study through the book of Proverbs. Um, a few facts about me. I grew up in a small town called Ozark, Alabama. I grew up the youngest of five kids in the country, and I was homeschooled. And if you know me, and you didn't know those facts about me, it's like I can literally hear the dots connecting in your mind. This explains so much. Uh, growing up homeschooled in the country meant I didn't have a ton of friends, but the ones I did have were just so dear. And our days were filled, uh, my cousin's here, he knows this, our days were filled with uh, going and climbing up trees and jumping out of trees and then climbing on our house and jumping off our house and then filming it all with a camcorder. And I'm really glad YouTube didn't exist back then. Basically, our days are full of making generally poor decisions, which I think is the great basis for friendship. Amen? There you go. One of my favorite of these poor decisions happened one day when my best friend Colleen came over to visit. And it was that day that my brother Josh decided that he wanted to know what the inside of a golf ball looked like. And he thought the fastest way, because we didn't have high-speed internet, and that didn't exist then anyway, was to cut it in half with an axe. And something happened as he raised the axe head into the air. Something ancient and primal came over me. I think it's called fear. And I looked over at Colleen and I said, run, Colleen, run. And so she bolted with me. But then something ancient and primal kind of came over her too. And I think the first time we see it in scripture is Lot's wife. She looked back. <laughs> Just as the axe blade nicked the side of the hard sports ball, sending it flying through the ears, directed, no doubt, by the hands of a thousand hilarious angels. And when Colleen woke up, we were still friends. But she had a giant lump on her head. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its way is the way of death. Proverbs 14, 12. Today, we are going to be looking at friendship in the book of Proverbs. What is the reason for friendship? Why is it God-ordained? Why is it so important? And at the beginning of this, I need to confess something to you. I have an interesting relationship with the book of Proverbs. As I was growing up, 
I didn't quite understand it. And if I'm honest, even to this day, it kind of annoys me a little bit. What is it doing in here? I just, you're reading the Bible, it's the history of redemption. You just finish a beautiful book of poetry and songs. And then there's a book of advice and sayings. It feels like the gift you receive from a well-meaning aunt at your homeschool graduation. <laughs> but along with that confession, I need to also confess something else. I know the reason why I don't take naturally to the book of Proverbs, and it's this. I want to make my own wisdom. Now, Proverbs does say that wisdom comes through experience, but it also teaches that our individual experiences are limited and skewed. And if we don't look to others for their wisdom, according to Proverbs, that makes us fools, which is ultimately why I need this in all aspects of my life. Specifically today, when it comes to friendship. Now, I actually sought out wisdom from my mom uh, when I started studying this. My mom uh, and I and my brother Josh, we were the three that were in the house when my parents were divorced. And we were kind of bonded through that. And she has been reading a proverb a day for over 40 years and so I went to her and I said, Mom, what is it about Proverbs that keeps you going back to it? And with full of wisdom, she looked at me and said, well, it's because there's 31 chapters and there's usually 31 chapters in the month, which is like the most Proverbs response you could possibly get to that question. I look to Proverbs during the study and I hope we find a day that I need it to tell me how to be a friend because I often fail. I've been blessed with deep, good friendships, but I've also experienced in my life bad friendships, and I've been a bad friend. I've written people off because the relationship was just too draining. Without seeking any counsel, sometimes I've done this, or worse, only the counsel of people I know who would agree with me. I need to know what it means to be a friend. I get it wrong. And I bet you do too. So today we're going to look at friendship in the book of Proverbs, specifically in three different ways. The first way we're going to look at it is how friends help fulfill our purpose as humans. Second way is how a close friend is there to protect us. And why, the third reason, why we need friends to be present with us. That's right, purpose, protection, presence. This is a three-point sermon with every point beginning with the letter P. Take that, Tim Keller. <laughs> so let's first talk about why we need friends to help fulfill our purpose as humans. Proverbs 18.1, it's in your bulletin. One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. 
Now, there's a simple practice that I've been taught that whenever you begin a study in, in Scripture, you would just do yourself a favor and go back and read the first few chapters of Genesis. In those first few chapters of the Bible, it is packed with themes that will run throughout the entirety of Scripture. It is the first place we see the absolute power and patience of God, his communal nature, the calling of man to work, the calling of man to rest. And it's also the place that we see the birth of death, guilt, shame, betrayal, sin that hunts you, and so much more. And once you know it, in Genesis 2, we get the first wisdom spoken about man over man. You can turn there if you want. We're going to be there for just a little bit. But Genesis 2, we see God creates Adam for a purpose. He makes him out of the earth to take care of the earth. Genesis 2, 15 the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And just as God gives him a purpose right after this, the very next verse, he's going to give him the first command or the first instance of the law. Genesis 2:16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So he gives man his purpose. And then he gives man the first command. And then it happens. The first utterance of wisdom is spoken over man. And it's this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. This passage is powerful when it is applied to marriage. And that's why it's used uh, throughout generations. It's been used in Christian wedding ceremonies. But this speaks not only to marriage, but also to our basic humanity. What it means to be a person Human beings are not meant to follow the purposes of their life or the calling of God alone. And also, it speaks to the fact that we fully can't be who we are without another person. Now, I've seen this most clearly as I've gotten older, and I've started to see some of my friends and relatives pass away. And there's a saying that I'm sure you've heard, which is that when somebody dies, it feels like a part of you died too. I remember uh, when my grandfather was describing what it was like when we lost my grandmother. And he said, it's like there's no salt at the table. C.S. Lewis even wrote about this a little bit. He had a legendary group of friends called the Inklings. Don't you wish your friend group had like a cool name? I think it's a cool name. I'm a nerd. Uh, and they would get together and they would exchange writings. They were all writers and artists. And uh, one of the members was a, a, a small artist named J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, or as Lewis would call him, Ronald. Uh, another one of the members was the writer Charles Williams. And Charles was the first in their group to pass away. 
And Lewis observed something about the group dynamic when Charles passed away. He thought, well, you have one person leaving a group, and they take up space and time within that group. So even though this is sad, isn't there a positive that maybe we would gain time for others to step in maybe and share time with that? And he observed basically the opposite. And he talks about it specifically in what happened to J.R.R. Tolkien, Ronald. In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, I have less of Ronald. Lewis goes on to describe that one of the great joys of heaven will be when we are reunited with lost friends. But there's an equal joy he also describes, which is when we get to meet the generations of family members that have always been destined to bring out an aspect of praise in us that only they could. Basically, that whole scenario of only Ronald laughs this way when only Charles tells this type of joke, a very Charles joke, we get that for eternity with one another. We will be telling each other our individual stories of redemption. And Lewis says that we will be then like the seraphim in Isaiah's vision, crying what we sang earlier, Holy, holy, holy to one another. He says, the more we share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. We need one another. We are meant to be in close community. And even Jesus modeled this for us. Think about this. Why on earth would Jesus need friends? He had a perfect relationship with his heavenly father, and he knew his mission. Wouldn't friends just get in the way of his purpose? Why would he waste his time being friends with someone like Peter, John, or Judas? We read in Luke that as Jesus grew as a child, he increased in wisdom. And then we see one of the first steps in his earthly ministry was calling friends to himself. They did not hinder his purpose. His friends were part of his purpose. They advanced it. And as an aside, when we're talking about the dangers of isolation, I am not talking about the dangers of solitude, times of specific solitude. My wife is an introvert. I get it. It's needed. Jesus did that. He would take time in solitude. But what I am speaking against is the intentional isolation that you will sometimes put yourself in. Or you think that the purpose of life is just to optimize every single moment. So you cut people out that waste your time. And that the goal of life is just for me to have a good one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. In John Mark Comer's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he draws a clear line between solitude and isolation. 
Quote, the two are worlds apart. Solitude is engagement. Isolation is escape. Solitude is safety. Isolation is danger. Solitude is how you open yourself up to God. Isolation is painting a target on your back for the tempter. Solitude is when you set aside time to feed and water and nourish your soul, to let it grow into health and maturity. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect the former. Jesus made time for solitude, but he also invited friends into his purpose and into theirs fully. What purpose has God placed on your life? I promise you, you are not meant to get there alone. So that's the first point. How a friend is there The next is how a friend is there to protect us. A good friend is there to protect us. In Proverbs 18.1, it speaks on how it is unwise to be isolated. And the last verse of that chapter is Proverbs 18.24, and it bookends that thought, but in a different way. Proverbs 18.24, it's in your bulletin. One with many friends may be harmed But there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. So on the opposite end of this elected isolation, there's another unwise thing concerning friendship, and it's what's called too many friends, too many voices, opinions, wisdom going into your head at all times. Now, when the Proverbs were written, this danger usually seemed to be reserved for the wealthy. Proverbs 19 says, Many seek a ruler's favor, and everyone is a friend to one who gives gifts. Basically, if you've got money and position and power, everybody will be your friend. They want to vie for your attention. And this definitely applies now still to the wealthy. But if you're honest, whether you regard yourself as wealthy or not, we are in danger of too many friends, or rather, not having a trusted, singular, deep friendship. Maybe you've been hurt before, so you avoid deep friendships. Or maybe you're so set on your career or your studies that you just don't have time for anything but work friends or acquaintances. Regardless, this proverb calls the lack of a deep, trusted friendship, not only unwise, but it says you're putting yourself in danger. I find that I open myself up to this um, every time I basically open up my smartphone. There's nothing wrong with actually receiving information, but I find that it's developed in me a bad habit. I don't like silence. So I'll fill my ears with conversations and opinions from people who don't know me and who I don't know. I don't want to be bored, so I'll pull up YouTube clips from people who don't care for me and who I'm not in charge to care for. It's just information coming into my mind. And the more I do this, the more I listen to things inside of my head, especially when I don't process them with a trusted friend, 
the more I allow other sources to be elevated to a position of influence over my heart that is only to be reserved for good friends. So for me, technology is the way that I invite that in a lot of times, and I need to be aware of this. But yours may be different. What sources have you given that privileged position of friend to, even though they are not your friend? Proverbs 18.24 gives me a vision of a battle. And the the many friends are the ones in front of you that are supposed to be there to defend you, protect you. But their attention is fleeting. And they get distracted and they move on. And you're exposed. You're abandoned the moment that you need them. After the first service today, it was incredible to see people come up and say, I had a hard friendship. I had someone that hurt me and talk to them about that. But that verse doesn't end with just the many friends. It ends with a hope, which is wonderful. But there is a friend that stays closer than a brother. This is someone who is a trusted friend. Someone who with, is with you no matter what. Someone who is there to protect you and stand in the gap. The Captain America translation of this proverb would be, I'm with you to the end of the line, Bucky. That's my major nerd reference today. This friend stays with you. This friend is there to look out for you. And ultimately, when I went through Proverbs, I found everything pointing to this last point here. Not just that a friend is there for your purpose. Not just that a friend is there to protect you. But the last point is a friend is there to be present with you. Present with you. Proverbs 14, 13. Even in laughter, a heart may be sad. And joy may end in grief. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a difficult time. Last year, my siblings and I laid our father to rest in a small town away from Birmingham. And I remember the moment that the funeral home door opened and a few of my very close friends from Birmingham walked through. And I thought, of course they're here. Of course they're here. For some time, Redeemer had a tradition that during the summer, we would take over a coffee shop or a brewery and we'd have these things called theological talkbacks where we'd invite speakers to come in and share and then we'd ask them questions afterwards. In 2018, at one of these, a friend of Redeemer and regular chaplain at UAB Hospital, uh, Susan Godfrey Simmons, gave a talk on what was called the Ministry of Presence. Ironically, I was not present for that particular lecture on presence. <laughs> But I listened to the podcast, which, as we referenced earlier, is a thing I do. And it's still on the archives at rcbirmingham.org. You should totally go and listen to it. As I listened to her speak about this thing that I had never heard of called the Ministry of Presence, something started coming into focus for me 
Something I've always known about the character of God and about his calling on his image bearers. The ministry of presence. This is a thing that she described uh, through the lens of walking into a hospital room and seeing someone in pain or in sickness and you get this overwhelming overwhelming feeling that I should just say something. I need to say the right thing. If I could just say the right thing, all would be well. You may have that specific lens to view this through of a hospital room, but I guarantee you've been there or you've been the person sick and hurting and a friend walks in. And this is the ministry of presence. Quote, contrary to our human instinct to find the right thing to say, or to actually do something. The ministry of presence offers yourself an attentive, listening presence that reminds the other that they are not alone. This spiritual practice is difficult because it is not immediately accomplishing a task It involves waiting. It involves listening. But when we offer our physical presence to someone in pain, we are joined with the ministry of Christ, the one who draws near, the one who dwelt among, the one who carried our yoke upon him. This is where this all leads. The wisdom of friendship points to a friend who is present, someone who is with someone else in pain, there to sit, there to listen, there to protect, there to stand in the gap. Everything stems from this. And knowing this, it makes the failure of humanity's first friendship all the more heartbreaking. Back to Genesis. So Eve took of some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. We seek independence more than godly dependence with our friends. We elevate so many things to influence us, even over good friendships. And we fail to be present countless times with friends when they are in need. We fail to see when someone is, as the proverb said, is laughing, but there's sorrow behind it. We can't see it. Praise God for Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The God who held children in his lap and touched the hands of the sick and lowly, this is our God. The one who told stories of good Samaritans and loved the tax collector and the zealot, this is our God. The one who allowed Judas to kiss him, knowing it meant betrayal, this is our God. The one who gave us our purpose and gave us a new command in the Gospel of John, This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. I knew I was going to cry. In extreme quarantine situations, in hospitals, nurses will often get two gloves and they will tie the fingers of the gloves together. And then they'll fill each of the gloves with warm water and then tie the cuffs separately, creating kind of a clam shell. They'll go into the isolated person's room and they'll slip their hand in between the two gloves. So it feels like someone is always holding their hand, that they're not forgotten. And they call this the hand of God. After Christ ascended, the Holy Spirit was released to come and live in us so that we might have the power of God to obey this new command to love one another, but also so that we would have a promise that when we are bad friends, he's faithful to forgive us, and he is a good friend. What a friend. Amen.